0: Welcome to Lighthouse Church's Sermon Podcast. We pray you are blessed and encouraged with today's message. Good morning, everybody. Uh, If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'm going to actually preach out of the book of Revelations. And while you turn there, I'll be in chapter 5 most of the morning. Um, I have some good news for you. And this is kind of what maybe you could title the message if you wanted to put a title on it. But God is still in charge. Amen? Like, God is still in charge. And if you study the Scriptures, it says He's actually keeping a tally. Proverbs 15 says that the eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro, keeping a watch on the evil and on the righteous. And so I think, I'm going to speak to that this morning because I think we're in an an age where things are getting confusing, where sometimes we can look around in the world and get a little bit uh, discouraged and wonder if, if we serve a passive God. I have a couple Scriptures before we get into Revelations. You know, that's, that's good news, what I just said. The eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro, keeping an eye on the evil and on the righteous. And if you are somebody this morning who has dedicated your life to serving Him, and if you've given your heart to God through rela- with a relationship through Christ, then that's good news for you. But if you haven't, and if you're still on the fence about that, then it's really just a neutral statement, isn't it? But this morning, I want to talk a little bit about maybe God's character. And what does that really mean you know, when it says that He's watching? And I'm going to address a couple of questions that I think uh, Christians are having right now uh, with the culture and the society that we live in. Most of us know what we know about God. Or we know what we know about God through what was revealed of Him in the Scriptures. Yes? Through, namely, His Son Jesus Christ. Uh, specifically through the accounts of the Gospels, the four Gospels, we know what we know about Christ. And he even says in the Gospels, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So really the best we can do is to take a look into Scripture and say if you want to know what God is like, you have to read the, Bible, you read the four Gospels. And while that's true, if you base your opinion on God just on the four Gospels, that's an actually an incomplete opinion. Because the revelation of God begins all the way back at creation, and comes all the way through the Old Testament, is revealed in the flesh in the four Gospels, and then is, re- is revealed finally in Revelations. And so to actually really get a picture of God's character, one must observe Him through the entire context of Scripture. Amen? And so when you're a new Christian, you'll read a few of these statements that I'm going to read. A uh, new Christian, or maybe you just haven't read the whole entire Bible, uh, but I'll, ha- I'll put a couple Scriptures up there. As we look into God's character, into how He would have us treat people, and how He would have us act while we're here, and so uh, here we go. Matthew, I guess this one's five thirty-nine. Jesus, these are Jesus' words. He says, "But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the also other." Uh, the point is, is Christians are to act humbly in the face of violence. We're not to return violence with violence. If you move right on to the next one here, I have uh, Matthew 18, 21, and 22, and Peter asks this famous question, Lord, how often should we forgive people? And it, Peter kind of like knows the answer Jesus is going to give, but he's like, I got to hear him say it, because this just sounds so crazy. And he says, should we forgive him seven times? And Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And what Christ is really uh, hinting at there is that we're instructed as Christians to endlessly forgive people. Uh, that have offended us or have given offense against the church, and offense against our families and what we believe. Uh, And really, that's a whole other message, but Jesus actually instructs people to do that because he knows that forgiving people frees you from that person. It has nothing to do whether they deserve forgiveness or not. Amen? Actually, nobody ever deserves forgiveness. That wouldn't even be justice. But Jesus says that because he wants to see us walking free. He wants to see us not attached to people through offense. And then the last scripture here, uh, I guess a out of order, but bounce back. Uh, Jesus says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And so it's just this idea, you know, that really we don't have a right to judge one another, do we? Uh, before you go judging somebody else, check yourself, and if you're to be honest, you'll find that, you know, you don't... <laughs> that you're not without sin either. And so we have the Gospels littered with these little statements that Jesus makes, right? And I just pulled three out of Matthew. I could, have, I could have talked about this for two hours and not been through giving all these little tidbits that Christ gives on how we're to live as Christians. But in the face of an evil world today, Christians are asking now more than ever, I think, uh, if the injustices of this world are ever going to be made fair. And if you look at the political climate, the entitlement mentality of our culture, um, if you look at the unjust policies being unfolded on the border or in the lives of our children in our schools and of the unborn, uh, I think now more than ever, Christians are scratching their heads and asking the question, how long are we supposed to keep turning the other cheek? And whether you admit you're asking those questions to yourself subconsciously or not, I bet you are. You're asking, like God, will there ever be a time when this stuff that I see in the world is going to be made fair? How long am I supposed to continue to walk out these three Christians, or these three, these three scriptures, and all the, all the many more? And the problem is, what these questions do when we look at it at an unrighteous culture, and compare them to the way Christ has asked us to live, is they begin to put seeds of doubt in the Christian. They begin to put seeds of doubt in a believer, and we begin to ask ourselves questions like, is God ever going to judge the unrighteous? Is there ever going to be justice for those of us who have actually tried to live a good life? Is there ever going to be food for starving kids in Africa? And we begin to wander down that trail and ask these questions, and they always land at the point of, is God good or isn't He? And then some of us go a step further and say, is He even in charge? And the Scriptures say that He is, but sometimes it's easy to look around the world and say, maybe he's not. And what we tend to do as Christians is we reserve these little corners of sin in our lives just in case none of this is really real. Just in case this is a blind faith that we're called to. And what that then does is it begins to chisel away at our dignity and begins to chisel away at our power and our walk with the Lord. And you know, when seeds of doubt get planted, it's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden, isn't it? The serpent looked at Eve and said, did God really say... And we all know that that little seed, just that tiny little question, did God really say? Is God really real? Is God really good? Did he really tell you you can't do this? Those little seeds of doubt ended up becoming a gigantic mistake for Adam and Eve, one which cost them their position of immortality immortality and cost them their position in the garden. But that question of did God really say has been pinging at humanity ever since. And because of the unjust culture we live in now, I think it's pinging away at the minds of Christians right now. And I've lived this in my own life and seen this in the lives of brothers and sisters in Christ that have become discouraged about the reality of their circumstances and they've started letting that question twist away at their brains of, well, did God really say? And what if, you know, what if he's not really good? What if he's not personal? What if at the end of all of this, uh, there isn't justice? What if we're supposed to just keep turning the other cheek, and we're supposed to just keep meagerly letting evil people run our culture. You know, these scriptures that I read you, these three scriptures are absolutely the model that Christ instructed us to live, but they don't, in fact, represent a full and complete picture of God's attitude towards sin and injustice in the world. See, by briefly reading these scriptures only, which are popularly preached scriptures, and again, I want to clarify, they are how you and I are to act in this dispensation of grace. This is the model. These are the words of Christ. But they do not entirely represent God's overall attitude towards sin and injustice. So if we apply them to us, we're to turn the other cheek. We're to continually forgive. We're to act meagerly in the face of violence. But we cannot apply those same instructions to God and say that's an adequate description of His attitude towards sin. See, your opinion... you know. If you just read those three scriptures, you could probably conclude that maybe Jesus is a little bit of a pushover, and He expects Christians to just meagerly stand by while evil reigns victorious in the world. And I've been confronted with that question because of these scriptures before. And they're actually good questions. Uh, But your opinion and your understanding of God is an incomplete assumption unless it's based entirely on the completeness of Scripture. Because the Bible actually says that He's the Alpha and He's the Omega. He's the first and He's the last. Amen? So to to adequately decide or perceive how God feels about sin and injustice and unrighteousness, you can't make the fair uh, comparison on that unless you study God from creation all the way to Revelations. It's, It's in creation in the Old Testament, if you read your Bible cover to cover, which a lot of us have, that God's power and His holiness are revealed. And we see that as we begin right at a creation where God spoke all this into existence, but yet continued Himself to live outside of the time and space continuum. And so it's like He's the beginning and the end all at the same time. Try and wrap your head around that. And then we see as we go down through the Old Testament... After sin happens, God can, tries to reestablish a relationship with a creature that He made in His own image. And he, tries to, he accepts sacrifice of animals in place so that men may be seen yet again holy in His sight. And then we get into the New Testament. So His power and His holiness is revealed in the Old Testament. We get into the New Testament where we see God come into the flesh and where we see His great love and His mercy on mankind displayed in these Scriptures, in the life of Christ. And then, in Revelations, the book of Revelations, we see a side of Christ that we don't see revealed in the Gospels. We see a side of Christ where His triumph, is justice, and His judgment over sin and darkness is displayed. So, I'm going to read you a text this morning out of Revelations 5. And I want you to apply that, this, this Scripture... And if you have your paper Bible, you can turn there. But I want you to apply this scripture this morning to the, to the question of will this ever be made fair? Or are we to continue to just, this is our entire existence? So apply this scripture to the answer to that question. John the Revelator is fast forwarded into the future in the book of Revelations for the final, uh, really the final revelation of Christ. So now the world, prior to this, the world has seen the God of the Old Testament. They've seen His mighty acts of power, they've witnessed His holiness, they've witnessed Him continually try to pull man back in. We've now had a revelation of Christ in the flesh, and many in the world at this point have accepted the sacrifice of Him on the cross. And so now we come to about 95 AD, when God gives John this vision, which is called the revelation. And if you've never read the book, it's a, It's wild. I'll just leave it at that. It's wild. But God gives John this revelation, but it's really more than just a hey, here's what's to come. It closes the canon and it completes the picture of what God really is like. So we, we really don't have all of his attributes and the mystery of Christ revealed is not complete without a proper understanding of revelation. So John is kind of just going through this as as he gets into the, has the vision of the throne room in uh, in 4 and Chapters 1 and 2 and 3 are the letters to the seven churches. And then you have this Revelations 5 where John is kind of zoomed up to heaven. And he's about to take part in a worship service that's going to happen in the future. In fact, as we read the scripture this morning, understand that you and I, brothers and sisters in Christ, will be at this worship service. So, like, I'll teach this this morning. And whether this is in 10 years or 1,000 years, you're going to be like, yeah. I remember I learned about this. You'll know what's coming. But here, John says this in verse 5. He says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, that's the Father, chapter 5, verse 1, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in her loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll, or even look inside it. So, uh, it's God the Father who's on the throne, and if you've read through Revelations before, you know that in the middle of the tribulation, you have the sealed judgments, you have the trumpet judgments, and you have the bowl judgments. So, wrapped up inside this little scroll that the Father who sits on the throne holds, it's sealed with seven seals, is the judgment of evil it's wrapped up inside this scroll and it's waiting in his hand for somebody worthy to come and open it out and finally pour god's just wrath out on evil and so john is you can imagine as he's looking at this i mean he's he's swept up into the third heaven uh, he's already seen the father on the throne if you want to read chapter 4 it's wild and he now sees this, the Father has this scroll in his hand that represents the judgment of evil. And John's heart begins to pound as he realizes, finally, all of this is going to make sense. I'm going to get to see how God really feels about evil and injustice and unfairness and all of the consequences that man's sin and evil have swept into this world. So as he gets excited about it, The angel, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? And there's the problem. Because the judgment's there. All of heaven and all of earth are there. But the question gets asked, who in fact is worthy to pour this out? And the Bible says, John John says, I wept. Because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll and look inside. And so immediately John's excitement in this vision turns to disparity when he realizes that the angels don't have the right. The Father is absolutely holy. And so it would be unjust for him to be merciful to some and judge others. The Father is absolutely holy. The angels don't have the right. And all of the people, both on heaven and on earth, in the assembly where they're right now, uh, have, are sinners who are saved by the blood of Christ, who, are, who are, would, would have no reason or no right to judge. They fall into these scriptures. And so immediately you see the Bible says that John wept. And when it says that John wept, what it means is, is John had this impending feeling uh, that evil might go unpunished. That in fact this world that had been swept up and given to sin and immorality and adultery and starvation and all the things John had this impending feeling that God had drugged him all the way up there just to say that nobody is worthy to judge the earth and so read on in the scripture one of the 24 elders said unto me do not weep see the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David has triumphed and he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals so the picture starts to make sense the lion of the tribe of Judah we all know is who? Jesus, right? And, and, and John would have been familiar with that because he was a scholar of the Old Testament. Um, he actually knew this Jesus when he was in the flesh. And so when when the elder says, do not weep, all of creation is hanging on its, the edge of its seat right now thinking, is this ever going to be made fair? Is what's in the hand of the Father going to be poured out? And the and, and John begins to weep, and then the elder says, hold on, before you get all bummed out, because remember, John lived 30 years after lived 60 years after Christ died, and he saw some terrible things. I mean, John saw the execution of Peter. He saw the execution of James. I mean, John was boiling a vat of hot oil, exiled on Patmos. This guy had suffered like you wouldn't believe. So if anybody had the right to be bummed out about the question, is any of this ever going to be made fair, it was John. So as he begins to weep, one of the 24 elders around the throne of God taps him on the shoulder and says, hold on. It says, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. And he's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, before we get into verse 6 this morning, uh, what happens in verse 6 is probably one of the most shocking moments in the history of creation. Because John is expecting to turn and see Christ portrayed as a lion with its huge sharp teeth waiting to crush evil. And finally, if you ever watched um, Aslan from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, John is expecting to turn and see that. That powerful portrayment of Christ come out. Uh, But instead, he sees a lamb. Verse 6 says, "...but then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures." And he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all of the earth. And so the seven horns represent Christ's perfect power, and the seven eyes represent Christ's perfect wisdom. But check it out. He's, he's expecting to see the lion, but the revelation is is that the lion is the lamb. Isn't that amazing? And all of the theology of Christ in the Gospels and in the New Testament now begins to just mesh just like this when John finally realizes why Christ had to die. Finally realizes that if Christ hadn't died, nobody else in heaven or on earth would have been qualified or eligible to make Things right. And so he's expecting to see this powerful revelation of God come from the throne, and instead he sees Christ pictured as a lamb, and then all the pictures in his head begin to make sense that Christ actually had to be a sacrifice, that he actually had to become the lamb to be the lion. And so, as this revelation begins to click in the heads of everybody in the assembly, which, by the way, is every creature who ever lived, here's what comes next verses 8 to 14, and I'm going to read them this morning. Record what I would say is probably the most powerful worship service. If anybody was just here for worship this morning, um, that was what an end, right? I could have probably done that for another half an hour. Uh, But that's nothing compared to what you're going to read right here. Uh, When all of creation comes under the realization... That the lamb is the lion and that evil is going to be justly judged. And as the pieces of the puzzle start to make sense, the multitude of all of creation joins the choir. And so I want you this morning as I read the rest of this chapter, and then we'll address this question. Just If you want to, close your eyes or read along in your Bible, but I want you to picture that you're actually there. Why? Because you will be. So get a little anticipation this morning as we read this. So we have... The revelation has now been made complete that Christ is actually the lion and the lion is the lamb. And now there is going to be found one worthy to, unle- to open the seals. And if you read the rest of the book, that's exactly what happens. The seals or the judgments of evil and sin begin to get poured out through the next seven years of the tribulation until this actual second coming of Christ. But listen to this. So as everybody begins to understand the mystery of what's happening right now in heaven, here's what the Bible says. And while He had taken it, so it says He came and took the scroll from the right hand of Him who sat on the throne. So the Lamb is the only one of the trillions and trillions and trillions of beings in this assembly. Every created angel is there. Everyone dead in Christ is there. And the Bible says that all of those still on earth are witnessing this. And as this happens, the Lamb is the only one who's worthy to take the scroll. It says He comes and He takes the scroll. And when He had taken it, so you can imagine, all of heaven is on the edge of its seat. Because if He's not worthy, He'll be incinerated immediately for approaching the throne. But once He takes it, and all of creation comes under the realization that A, mercy is now on those of us in Christ. The Lamb was a perfect sacrifice, and we're with Him. The next realization is is that everything we thought was unfair or unjust, every devastating effect of sin in this world is about to get corrected. And it's about to receive the righteous and holy wrath of God. And to those of us, to John, to the apostles, to the saints, to those of us who have given our lives to it, it's a wonderful moment. Listen to how heaven responds as the Lamb gets to take the scroll and walk back away from the throne. Here's what the Bible says. It says in each one sorry, and he came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Verse 8. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, and here's what they begin to sing. So you have the throne the lamb, the 24 elders are on in the inner circle, so they see it first. And they see that not only did he take the scroll, but he didn't evaporate. In fact, he was worthy to hold the scroll. And in fact, everybody else was now going to be spared. Everybody in heaven was going to be spared this judgment. So they burst into the, to what the Bible says is a new song. And he says, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. With your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And if you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Verse 11, Then I took, so we're back to John. So John's witnessing this as as this begins to make sense to him. He says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. So the elders first, but then the angels begin to understand that what they just witnessed is what has been talked about all throughout history. That they just witnessed it. And it says that the angels encircled the throne and the living creatures, and in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then verse 13, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and under earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them singing, to Him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. And that's the conclusion of Revelation 5. Is anyone else other than me excited that we're actually going to get to witness that someday? That we're actually going to get to be there when every created creature ever, along with every created angel, along with, the four, along with the lamb, and along with the four creatures, and along with the 24 elders, we're going to actually get to hear the multitude of heaven sing this song to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Be praise and honor and glory and power forever. Chapter 6, which we're not going to get into today, rolls right into the opening of that scroll. It rolls into the opening of the seven seal judgments and then the seven trumpet judgments and then the seven bowl judgments. And those are um, terrifying and they're confusing. Um, And You should all read them and you should study them and you should do an eschatology study. Um, Not because you can sit there and say, good, I'm glad this earth is going to be judged. but So you can really truly understand the multitude of what you've been saved from. And you can really truly understand how fair God in fact will be. Um, You should read the rest of that book um but this chapter 5 is the beginning to a new understanding of Christ and this book closes and you'll get to you read about John John had known God in the flesh he had known Christ in the flesh and he had known the God of the Old Testament he had read about him in the law but what he had never s- Really been able to put together the pieces of the puzzle that he'd never been able to put together is how in the world is God going to remain holy and somehow make all this fair? This earth is a mess, and I just suffered for 95 years. And that revelation is found in chapter 5 of Revelations. And so, what you have here in this chapter is the beginning to a new picture of what Christ is He's the creator, He's the ruler. He's the Holy One of Israel. He's the sacrificial lamb. He's now the just judge of the universe and sin and darkness. And He's our Father. And He's our friend who sticks closer than a brother. And So, what is the point of all of this this morning? Well, the reason that we're commanded not to judge and to turn the other cheek and to continue to forgive And to do all of these things that sometimes can get discouraging if you just feel like as a Christian you're getting pounded down and pounded down and pounded down. And then you flip on the news and it looks like the church is getting pounded down. And it looks like the country has been given over to evil. And it looks like all these things. And yet we're supposed to continue. And the answer is yes. And the reason is this. It's because God intends to exact judgment for us. So He knows. And get this. God actually knows you and me better than we know ourselves. You think you know your wife? God knows your wife way better than you ever will. He made her, And He knows that He exists outside of time and space and sees the frustrations that we have as His children as we walk through this earth. And He sees our desire for justice and judgment, but trust me, if He were to come down and judge it right now, wouldn't we be guilty as well? Set aside the sacrifice of Christ. I mean, the truth is, is, everybody wants judgment until they apply that statement to themselves. And they're like, well, yeah, never mind. I'll take mercy. But God knows that if judgment and unforgiveness and vengeance and all of these things that we think in the heat of the moment we want on this world were to be given us, they'd in fact ruin us. God knows that chasing these things uh, would consume us as people and all you need to do, has anybody here ever been consumed with revenge before? been consumed with hard feelings before, been consumed with unforgiveness before. See, God is not some pushover and He's not expecting you to be. He just knows what's better for you. He knows that those things that Christ commands against will in fact rob you of the peace and the blessing that comes with being full of the Holy Spirit. You know, the peace and peace and hope are the birthright of the Christian. They're actually the only things we're promised in the Bible. Uh, That and eternal salvation. Right, We're not promised money. We're not even promised good health. We're not promised long life. Those are not promises of the Scriptures. Some of us are going to enjoy those things and some of us are going to suffer till the end. Why? That's another sermon. But God does know this, that peace and joy and hope are the birthright of a Christian. And if you allow your feelings, your hard feelings for this world to get mixed in, God also knows you well enough to know that it will rob you of those things and then you'll be stuck wondering why you're not receiving your inheritance as a Christian and why you're no happier than your neighbor. Now to tie this all together, I've found that after studying Revelations, I now you could never understand God. Amen. Like you could just you could never understand him. He's so big, so vast, so deep, so mighty, so powerful. I mean, the Bible says that we'll search, we'll spend the rest of eternity searching the wonders of him. So that's a fact. But I do know that we've been given just enough in the scriptures to clearly understand his creative power and his good nature and His holiness in the Old Testament. We've been given just enough in the New Testament through observing and studying the life of Christ that He modeled a way for us to live that's both moving towards righteousness and will keep us in blessing. Will keep us in peace and hope. And now, having fully understood what's revealed of Christ in Revelations, we also know that there is an answer to that question. Is this ever going to be made fair? Is God ever going to come down and make this fair again? And so it's that complete picture of Christ that begins to put it all together for the Christian. To find out where you are in that picture. Where are we on this timeline of things? You know, I really don't think... You know, The world says that Christianity is a crutch, doesn't it? They call it a crutch. It's some crazy thing that we hope in. Or it's some uh, whimsical idea that Uh, People that just want to believe in something, believe in Him. But you know what? The longer you step through it and truly understand God, both through what the Old Testament reveals about Him and through the revelation of Christ, the more you'll realize it's not a crutch at all. uh, And it's not some whimsical idea. It's for people who desire to know and love their Creator and trust that He's a good Father and that you can take His Word for it. That in the end, not only has He showed you a good way to live and treat each other, and maintain your birthright of peace and hope and joy, but also in the end, He will make it fair. The meek will inherit the earth. Right? That just means we don't judge or take vengeance. We let the Lamb do it. Because He's going to do it. When Jesus says, My yoke is easy and My burden's light, what He's acknowledging is that the yoke of sin and vengeance and judgment is actually more than you can really bear. You were not even created to bear that. You and I were not created to bear unforgiveness and hard feelings and bitterness. Our Father knows that those things will wreck us. And they'll wreck our legacy and they'll rip our families apart and leave us destitute and hopeless. God knows that. That's why in the Scriptures, Revelations 5 says, hold on to it, trust me, I'll take care of it, because He can justly judge it. He sees what's happening in this world. And I think that like I started, said when I started this in the beginning, has anybody ever wondered if God is really paying attention? If He's like really paying attention? I can assure you that He sees what's happening in this world and He's keeping a tally. He's actually keeping a tally. The Bible says that. And He says, uh, not only does He see what's happening and He's keeping a tally, but His just response is already written in the Bible and it will come to pass. And you know, what's funny. There's enough information in the Gospels to get saved. Yeah? And in the epistles to get really well discipled. Right? That's all there. Revelations is one of those books where if you really sit back and think about it, why did God give it to us? Because we don't need it for salvation, and we don't need it really too much for discipleship. It's a prophetic book of future events that are going to come, and a lot of it, you and I won't be here for. Amen? A lot, and so the question is, is: Why would God bother to put that in the canon? And the answer is this: So that we can see that future revelation of Christ and know that this is going to be made fair. God actually loves you enough that He took the time to make sure this made it in the book and completed the revelation of who He was. Isn't that amazing? You don't need this book for anything else. If you're here, I'm going to pray. I have a picture I just want to put up here. Um, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And that's as good of a picture of the revelation of the completeness and the complexity of Christ as I've ever found. Um, all of his attributes are found somewhere there in that picture. And as I close this in prayer this morning, you can study on that picture for just a minute. And there's times in your life where you're going to need a lion, isn't there? Where you're going to need a Savior. Um, There's times in your life where you're going to need a lamb that's going to to be sacrificed and pay for something that that you don't really have the the ability to pay for. But if you're sitting here this morning and any of those things have crept into your head in your life, and if they haven't, they will, You know that question of is is it ever going to be made fair? Um, Maybe like Eve and Adam, you've used doubt to make an excuse for sin in your life. And maybe you've suffered from that, and maybe you haven't. Uh, maybe you've wondered that, maybe you've tried the Christian life a little bit, and you've found it to be somewhat rewarding, but you've wondered if it's even worth it, and if your sin would just be more fun. What I want you to do as I close us in prayer this morning is to cast your cares on Him. He says that if you seek Me, you'll find Me. And He says that His yoke is easy and His burdens light. And that's a statement that we are expected as believers to take in faith. Amen? Uh, but the beauty of it is, is you're not going to have to take it in faith for all of eternity because there is coming a time very soon where not only will you get to see exactly what you've been redeemed from and forgiven of, but you'll see evil. You'll see Satan get his proper and righteous punishment. And it's going to make sense to you the same way it made sense to john so as i close this morning uh, i would say don't let your current circumstances become excuses to let doubt spring up in your mind god went out of his way to give us the scriptures he went out of his way to give us this last revelation of christ and it's in fact not the last revelation of christ if you want to read the rest of the book you'll see uh, that these seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bowls get opened On this earth and then we have the rider on the white horse and that's the final revelation of Christ. The second coming and maybe I'll speak on that another time. But you don't know Him unless you know Him from start to finish. Unless you know the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last. So don't let your circumstances become excuses to let doubt spring up. Trust in God uh, who exists in both the beginning and the end. And trust that your life is being noticed. God is noticing your life. He's noticing the right you tried to do. And He's noticing your struggle with, with, with the wrongs and the sins in your life. And He knows your heart. And not only does He notice that, but He's making plans for your future and eternity with Him. But He's going to make sure that while you're here, for as much as you let Him, that He'll love you and He'll comfort you. And when you have these questions as a Christian, brothers and sisters, when you have these questions of is it ever going to make sense? Is it ever going to be fair? Trust that God has already given you the answer and yes it is. So if you just want to bow your heads or I'm going to pray this morning uh, that, that God would continue to, to draw you closer to Him and that you would know uh, not just the God of judgment in the Old Testament and not just uh, the turn the other cheek Jesus, but the One who comes back and makes all things right. Amen? So if you'd bow your heads, Jesus, we thank You for the Scriptures. I thank You, God, for... It's very consoling to know that You see our struggles and You see our our shortcomings and You see the areas of this world that seem absolutely hopeless. But God, that You've already considered that. You've already considered that. um, and, And while that's reality and current for us right now, Lord, it's just existing in a time which You're already in the middle of and at the end of. And so God, as people, uh, as we're asked to live in some different times, we're asked to live in a a place in America where who knows where this country is going, who knows really what's happening. And I don't want that to ever be an excuse for the way we feel about you, God. And for the way we feel about forgiveness, for the way we feel about what Jesus did on the cross. And I don't want that to ever have an impact, Father, on the way Christians feel about you. Instead, God, I, I would that we would see You as, as all of those things in once. Our Creator, our Ruler, our Father, our Friend, our Sacrifice, and our Friend that sticks closer than a Brother. So Lord, as we, as we close this morning, I pray that everybody here would, have, uh, would be excited about this. Um, the Lion is the Lamb. The Lamb is the Lion. Um, the God on the throne is going to make it fair. And... The whole plan is completely genius if you look at it from the very moment that Adam and Eve ate the apple until fast forward all the way to Revelation chapter 5, God. It's amazing to see you intertwined. It's amazing to see that you had a plan all along. And it's amazing to see that in all of it, you've honored our free will somehow. And so I pray this morning, God, if there's anybody here who has had a hard time uh, believing in you, believing that it's worth it, uh, believing that You're even just at all, Lord, that You touch their heart this morning. And if this is the day that they accept the Lamb as a sacrifice for their sins and join the ranks of the righteous, Father, let this be that day. And so we just say this morning, we love You, God. Uh, we trust You. We thank You for a picture of the end uh, that gives us hope that, that You, in fact, are going to make everything fair and that You haven't forgotten us And that you're keeping a tally of both the evil and the righteous, God. And that your mercy and your grace still covers those places in us that we're really not proud of. So thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for giving us a second chance. Um, And thank you for the hope and the peace that comes as a Christian. And if nothing else comes out of this message right now, Father, I just pray that there would be a release of peace in the people that heard this. Just a peace that you care about us, God, and that you love us, and that you're not some giant pushover in the sky, and you don't expect us to be either. I just pray God that just peace and happiness and joy would just come over us this morning. And pray that in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. For more information on our church, check out our Facebook page or our website, www.lighthousecanton.com. Have a great week.